0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and today we're offsite. We're not in the studio, producer Sam. We're actually in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. I believe we're in Providence. We're not in Cranston.
1: We are in the city of Providence.
0: We're in the city of Providence, at Roger Williams Park, at the...
1: Temple to music.
0: Temple to music, thank you. What a very special (laughs) guest. If you haven't guessed yet, we've got the wonderful, the amazing Molly Huddle.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is such a cool setup today.
0: (laughs) Molly, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. We were just (laughs) catching up off the air, and you've been really busy over the last couple months. So, and I know we've tried to get this a couple times. I was sick and just scheduling and timing. So we really appreciate you coming on the Project Purple podcast uh, and sharing what you've been doing and all the great things. So thank you.
1: Yeah, happy to be here for sure.
0: (laughs) And this is awesome. The weather is, this is like perfect. I, I told Sam on the way over I said it would be really cool if Molly was running into the podcast <laughs> but it's a little warm and you already worked out today so you, you probably get your workout later on yeah
1: as well. I do love running in this park though it's a great spot to train so, so
0: for our listeners at home you live here in Rhode Island mm-hmm. for most of the year and then you also train and do a lot of stuff out west in Arizona yep. part of the year
1: Yep, usually we're out there in the winter, but now with the marathon build-ups, we'll spend some time at altitude. So we're in Arizona maybe four months out of the year.
0: And then the rest of the time you're either traveling for various races or you're based here in Rhode
1: Island. Yep, that's right.
0: So where is your favorite place to run here locally?
1: Okay, so the city of Providence, probably Roger Williams Park is my favorite park. It's like a two and a half mile road loop and then in the middle there's some trails and this awesome field which we're sitting on this rolling grass field with a cool view of a lake um, it's really pretty here um, but then if you go like maybe a couple miles outside of Providence there's some nice places too like Lincoln Woods is similar to here just a nice car free park around a lake um, and then there's some backwood like backwoods trail type roads um, in Lincoln and Cumberland that I always like to run on especially when I was training for Boston because it's like nice and hilly back there um, so yeah we actually have some good spots people don't think of Rhode Island as a good. Uh, running mecca, but we have some roots that some pretty talented runners have run on in the past. (laughs) Well,
0: Rhode Island is a running mecca, and if you really start to, (laughs) your coach is here, and that's really the main, one of the main reasons why you're based here in Rhode Island, right, is your coach, is at Providence College.
1: Yeah, my coach, Ray Tracy, um, he's been coaching at Providence College, oh gosh, probably 35 years or more and his brother John Tracy has an Olympic medal from the marathon um, 1984 I believe and Ray was a good runner himself he's had many Olympians come through his program at PC and so um, yeah these roads have some Boston Marathon champions that have run on them some NCAA champions some Olympians from many different countries so it's it's a good place to train
0: and Providence has been kind of a powerhouse, not just in Mm -hmm. the Big East, but nationally for cross country and running. And a lot of his uh, Kim, I believe, uh, is it Kim Connolly?
1: Kim Smith was. Kim Smith. Yes, NCAA champion for Ray. Yeah, he's had a good number of athletes win NCAA cross country and NCAA titles on the track, um, indoor and outdoors. And he has won the team title NCAA cross country twice. Wow. Yep.
0: And there's a couple other, I know you have really good friends with Emily Sisson, yes, correct? Yes, <laughs> Is she also coached by Ray as she well?
1: She is, yeah. She's coached by Ray, many-time NCAA champion. I think she has a couple college records yeah. too that uh, she broke Kim Smith's 5K she record, She ran I at think. Providence. She ran, yeah, correct. very good runner for Providence, and now she's uh, doing the marathon training with me. So. <laughs>
0: and I know from uh, following you on Instagram, you guys kind of both Post back and forth training session pictures, which yep. is really cool to see. Like there's that camaraderie within the running, which is really fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nice when someone can snap a pic of the work. Usually, it's just one or both of us slogging it out out there. But yeah, awesome. we've been we've been definitely getting fit together, especially before uh, London. So,
0: so I'm gonna back up a little bit and talk a little bit about your history and how you got here to Rhode Island. So you're originally from upstate New York. Mm-hmm. When did you start running like really seriously? Like when did you start taking running seriously?
1: Um, I didn't really start seriously running until probably my junior year of high school. Um, Before that I did a couple other sports and kind of just did track season and I wouldn't really run much the rest of the year apart from maybe like a fun run road race. Um, But then my junior year of, I had a pretty good track season my junior year and I was talking to one of the parents at one of the meets and they said oh my daughter um, went to this meet called Foot Locker last year you should try and train for it and it's, it is the uh, high school national championship for cross country and so she told me it was held at Disney World and there was professional runners that came to talk to you. There's just a lot of cool stuff about that meet. And so I wanted to make that team. That was like my first like really big, hard, challenging running goal was to make that Foot Locker team. Um, and so I just took the whole next year, really focused on running and I got a lot better. Um, I did make Foot Locker, but my track season was a lot better too. So.
0: Well, I want to jump in here. You said you got a lot better and I think you're being really humble. <laughs> uh, just reading, and this is based off of Wikipedia here. I had to pull this. So uh, your high school season uh, twice earned All-American honors in outdoor track and field, one and two mile runs, while also garnering All-American recognition in indoor track and field and cross country as a senior. So you didn't start running really hard until junior year, but then you became an All-American your senior year?
1: Yeah, and I mean, like...
0: That's amazing.
1: It was was a good improvement curve. Um, It was weird because I had run fast for then, but it was like... Now all those records have been eclipsed. Like, I don't know that if I had run those times now that I would even be heavily recruited. Like, kids are just getting so much better now. But at the time, I remember, and it was pre-internet too. Like, I couldn't compare myself to anyone else. Pre-social media. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm dropping a lot of seconds here. Like, I might as well stick with this. Um, So in my own mind, I was like, you know, that's when I fell in love with running, when I saw the potential there
0: so is that really what got you into the running like at yeah that moment?
1: i mean my dad was always really supportive and he was a runner in college and afterwards and i think he always wanted me to focus more on it and like i had fun with the other sports but when i got into i think he knew i could get a scholarship and run really well in college and so he was hoping i would see that eventually <laughs>
0: that's awesome and you have siblings and none of them took up running at any point
1: they all tried it once and then just kind of didn't love it or and i don't think any of them did distance they all did like I think they did like the hurdles of the sprints.
0: The shorter distances. Yeah.
1: Now the, now my both my sisters will run occasionally for fun, so.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> so, after high school, you get a scholarship to Notre Dame. Yep. And that's when you kind of really got, to, I mean, you're an All-American senior year in high school, but I think when people transition and athletes transition to college, it's, it's more of a business, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, and you had a great career at Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, Notre Dame was awesome. Um, I was always, you know, I had a few injuries, but I was always in the mix, top one, two, or three at the NCAA meet. Um, I never got that win I was looking for, but I was pretty consistently top three, so um, yeah, I I was really kind of finding my limits in college and figuring out the injury stuff and figuring out how much work I can handle running and what I want to do after school and all that stuff. So it was a good experience. It taught me how to race. There were definitely some races where you were just like... Okay, I'm, I'm in over my head here. What do I do?
0: <laughs> and you had great success in college. Again, I know you're being really humble. I mean, you were 10-time All-American. Um, and you set the University of Notre Dame women's 5,000-meter outdoor record at the uh, Mount SAC relays in a time of 15, 32, 55. Mm-hmm. Not sure if that still holds.
1: I'm not sure either,
0: actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty quick. Um, and, and you just... From there then you decided to go pro Mm -hmm. after college and so was there a point there that you were introduced to Ray or when did you start working with Ray like immediately after college or did you know of him before because at that time Notre Dame was in the Big East if I'm not wrong right?
1: Yeah Notre Dame was in the Big East my coach was Tim Connolly out at Notre Dame but we raced Providence College many times in the Big East and Um, Ray had a really good team he had Kim Smith was in the NCAA at that time and an Irish girl Mary Cullen and the two of them would beat me regularly. (laughs) Um, So I would probably race them between dual meets and conference meets and indoor-outdoor and cross country like maybe 12 times a year. So I kind of knew them and um, I knew they were training really well and my coach had come comfort level with Ray. And I think Ray had a couple post-college women as well. Um, I know Amy Rudolph was here training. She's a um, former American record holder in the 5K. And so my coach really just set it up at Notre Dame with Ray. He talked to Ray and said he thought I'd be a good fit if Ray would take me. And um, you know, Ray had seen enough of my races that he thought he could, he thought there was more left in the tank with me. So I'm very lucky that he agreed to take me here. And uh, I think I had been to Providence once before that. And just the airport, <laughs> and I just drove here and was like, "Okay, I'm moving here. You're gonna coach me. These women are great. Like, I have no doubt that, like, I'll get better just by chasing after them every day. So yeah, it was the rest is history." <laughs>
0: and so, and you also Notre Dame's pretty special because you met your husband Kurt there as yes, well, right? Yep. So you <laughs> and Kurt decide to make this trek across country because you guys were at Notre Dame, so come to Rhode Island, set up shop, and start running.
1: Yeah, yeah, Kurt still had a year left at Notre Dame, so I was kind of ba- visiting him back and forth, which was nice, because I wanted to go back and visit anyway, and yeah. like Notre Dame had great facilities, so i you know, hopped hop into an indoor race. Um, and then the next year, he came out to Providence, and um, we were back and forth between Providence and Indiana for a little while, because Kurt joined a pro group in Indi- in Indiana at IU. Um, but yeah, I was always, under Ray's guidance and we were here um, a lot of the spring and summer and I pretty much PR'd every year I was here in something when I was with Ray, so yeah.
0: Yeah, and your career then, I mean, your kind of arc, I guess, in terms of running, like you started doing the 5Ks and then the 10Ks and 20Ks and half marathons and you just had tremendous success, I think at one point, I mean, let me just look at my notes. I think it was like twenty-seven records, twenty-seven.
1: That might be the road. All the road race titles. <laughs> they they definitely have stacked up over the years.
0: Yeah. So you had this insane, I will call it, <laughs> success at this distance I what we, I guess we'll call middle distance, right? Because everyone mm-hmm. thinks anything other than a marathon is middle distance, right? Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. Some way, I, guess. I feel
1: like we're distance, but. Um, I would consider middle like 800, 1500.
0: So was the goal though, so as you were having the success and setting records nationally and you made the Olympic team twice, correct? Mm -hmm. For the shorter distances, was the goal eventually long-term was, hey, like I have like a 10 year plan and by year eight, we're gonna make this jump. And from years one through eight, we're just gonna smash all these records. (laughs)
1: I I eventually wanted to try the marathon. Um, I knew that. I think every distance runner has that curiosity to see how they would handle 26.2 miles. I know a lot of my training partners kind of had that like thought and I watched Kim transition from, you know, she had a pretty smoking mile time, really fast 5K time and then she moved up to the marathon as well. And so um, I think it's a natural progression and you can do it kind of longer into your career because you don't need that like raw speed that comes with youth <laughs> so i think it's it's normal for a distance runner to kind of want to try that later in their career and that's what we were thinking and i actually had wanted to move up to the marathon a little earlier like i think 2011 was the first year i asked to do new york um and my coach was like i think you should wait a little bit well there's you have a pr left in you in the 10k like just wait um and so yeah 2016 was the year uh i was pretty excited at that point waited five years to run it, so. So you
0: waited five years to do your marathon when you had asked? Like, yes. you, Ray had said, hey, no, you're not doing the ma-. So would you ask every year, like, hey, can I do the marathon this year? Or was it set like, hey, we're going to build up to this? And
1: um, I think I maybe stopped asking for two or three years. And then we tried the half in 2014. And I was like, OK, what about now? And he's like, get a few more, get through the Olympics, and then he'll, we can do it. Um, so yeah, I kind of kept coming back and asking and you know, I like, I'm still learning the marathon. I think I am a natural 10k half runner um, the marathon. I don't think comes naturally to me, but I still think I can get a lot better at it. And that's kind of what I'm, that's my goal right now. So, um, it's kind of cool to have that new territory to explore and something you haven't done a million times. So,
0: so I want to back up a little bit. So when you were doing all those halves, I remember this cause you were doing like the New York city half for like, you won it, I think, three or four years in a row? Mm-hmm. three years. I think it was three years. Yep. And so you were having this great success at that half marathon distance, and then you jumped up to the marathon. Were you getting bored of that?
1: I wasn't getting bored of it, I just wanted to see, um... what would happen in a harder test like I just think the marathon is longer and harder and I was just curious. So So was
0: it the half marathon distance easy for you at that point?
1: It was not easy I mean I know nothing's easy yeah no I'm just thinking the first half I ran the first year I ran New York half I think I was third um, And my last three miles were so painful (laughs) it was just like once you get past that 10 mile mark I just wasn't prepared Um, and then we came back the next year and I I had done a full year of those workouts and I didn't change anything. I just, I did them for a full year and I felt way more ready. So, um, that was cool to see. So then I was curious, you know, what if we prepare like that for the marathon? Like, I felt like I was, I made a lot of improvements and so yeah, the potential was just really, um, interesting for me.
0: (laughs) And now your full-time marathon, other than some of the the training work, because this some of these shorter distances really training for yeah. the marathon, yep. endurance and yeah. speed and stuff like that. So how has the transition been? Because you had a very interesting, your first marathon, you came in third, mm-hmm. then you did Boston, yep. and that was the year that, you know, I mean, it was the worst conditions ever.
1: Yeah. And
0: you didn't fare very well. I know you and I talked, we had you in Lincoln shortly after, and yep. you had talked about the disappointment and, I mean, the conditions you went through and the decision that you made mm-hmm. for our listeners at home, I think, which is important because you had a choice. You could have dropped, and a lot of pros dropped out early on because they knew it wasn't going to be their day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you made a decision to finish regardless of what your place was.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how entirely with it I was <laughs> after a while. The hypothermia kind of got it got to my brain. And you but, did get
0: hypothermia. Like yeah. this well, is well,
1: I wasn't diagnosed, but like you had I think all the pretty symptoms. much the top twenty yeah. in the men's and women's field were were close, we're borderline hypothermic when we finished or most of the way there. But um I just I just kept having hope that like you you didn't know if I'm feeling bad people ahead of me are feeling bad. You don't know who's gonna drop out between there and the finish line. And, you know, I think it was the last mile when like so many people passed me. I think like maybe 12 people passed me in the last mile. And I was very aware that it was gonna work out, but it just was important to me to like get to Boylston and see what it's about and just cross the finish line. Like the Boston Marathon is special for first time, but like streakers every, it's just a really historic, special marathon. And so something I've been waiting a long time to do. And I just wanted to have that full experience. And if I was conscious, I was gonna finish. Basically <laughs> it was my mindset, so.
0: So going back to Boston and you know finishing the race like what's probably the most and i just want to talk i don't want to harp on it but talk about boston what's probably the biggest lesson that you learned through that whole experience
1: i think well boston was interesting because it was the best build-up i had ever um like we were going into the race like you know like like many of the people on the on the women's elite start line, like thinking I could win. And it was the complete opposite of what I thought. And I think it was just about being ready for anything and the importance of just having those other goals and just, you know, finding value in whatever happened. Like I was just like, well, I don't wanna repeat that day, but I am kind of proud that I finished. And you just, you find a reason to finish. Like it wasn't money, it was not your goal. It was not the place. You were just like, ah, I found something else out there, some other reason to finish. And it's, I'm glad I have that. Cause sometimes you need it. You never know when you'll need that kind of like fortitude and just like, I dunno, the, the grit to just do that. You hope one day when you are on a roll and you're going for what you want, that will come in handy that day. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't want to repeat it, but I feel like I got something out of it for sure.
0: Well, the lessons that <laughs> we go through, right? Hopefully yeah. we learn from them and become stronger.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
0: I will say for us here at Project Purple and everything that you've been so gracious to do for us and building awareness, which we're going to talk about in, in a couple minutes, seeing you complete the race that day was inspiring as I, I told you in Lincoln, I think just to finish and to say that you finished in probably the worst conditions. I, I, I mean, I will, I, I will go on record here and say that I, that's probably been like the worst conditions ever for a marathon. If you look at like the statistics and the weather and the, the temperature and everything, and, you, and you, we probably brought in, you know, a thousand of those runners, they probably would all agree.
1: Yeah, I think Boston has had the, the odd really bad year like that. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how how they all stack up because I feel like they're far enough apart They're like 15 <laughs> 20 years apart. I think 2011 might have been a bad year That's not too long ago, but people are always like that was the worst one ever and I'm just like that No, that no, 2018 that had to be the worst one ever had
0: to. When you, so. I think when you throw in the rain and the cold. Yeah, I mean, that's not really like I like rain is not I mean rain and warm is I is okay but like the cold just really messes with people and I remember having a conversation with Kurt last year for your 5k and he said you know we were all thinking the morning of like just talking about the gear like even if you had pants on like mm-hmm. what a game changer that would have been yeah. possibly or capris right but yeah. no one was thinking that like yeah. every and everyone was the, the weathermen and the staff not putting blame on anyone was saying like, hey, it's gonna stop. It just never stopped. No,
1: it did not stop. So it was definitely an odd year. Yeah. Some people toughed it out. And I talked to people that, you know, had pretty good races and, um, I'm not really, I'm not meant to get cold and wet for that long. So it was not great for
0: me. Most people aren't either. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's, it was crazy. So you come back, you do New York your next one, you finished fourth, you had a great race, you set a, a personal best I mm-hmm. believe for your time, mm-hmm. uh, but finished fourth, second American, yep. <laughs> with again a, a, a stacked field in terms of New York, they had you know repeat winner, Shalane was there to defend her crown and then you had the Ethiopians uh, there that ran really fast, you came off of that? And then we just had London
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, just this past year. And, and London, we were talking before, you didn't have the result that you expected, but you actually PR'd.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we were, I was aiming for more of like a 222, 223 range. So we were way off with the 226, but um, I still technically PR'd by I think 10 seconds. That's not much over a marathon, but the amount of, um, I was worried at the end of the race that I wasn't going to, I wasn't sure what pace I was on track for, and there were a lot of people passing me, and I was worried. I remember thinking, like, I don't even know if I'm going to break 2.30, like, that's how many people I just saw pass me. And I was able to look at the clock with a mile to go, and I was like, oh no, you're still on pace to PR, like, this is just a fast course, like, the people are just having a really good day. So, um, yeah, it's crazy how your, your perspective can change, and um, I just tried to get to the finish line, because I knew I needed... I needed a time for the Olympic trials uh, and the Olympic qualifying time and it was a rough day I definitely didn't feel like myself like I kind of felt a little off but it was good to still get something out of it so
0: So when you say you were looking at the time uh, are you talking about your watch or the official time there was
1: like a clock up on the side of the course with a mile to go and before that I wasn't really putting it together what some of the splits were I just I knew on my my watch um, did show me like slowing down a lot at certain points when I had I was kind of by myself for the last 10k on and off, um, and so yeah I saw that with Mal to go and it was like it's worth digging for like you can still get like a, something out of today.
0: Do you look at your watch when you run like in terms of your pacing and splits and stuff like that?
1: I do when i'm alone you kind of need some help staying on pace which when that like i was trying to chase people down or someone would come up behind me and i try and run with that woman for a while but there were a few miles where i was by myself and i was like if i don't look at this if i don't look at my watch like i will slow down way too much so yeah
0: what do you prefer to be in the pack be in front by yourself
1: the pack is great i mean we stayed as a pack for about 13 miles in London, and I was so happy. Like, it just, you could just tuck in, and it was so hard, but you just had a lot of other people to kind of float along with, and it just made the effort feel so much easier. So, yeah, if, if you can get that in a marathon, that's a good day.
0: <laughs> Do you prefer to be in the front of the pack or to be in the back, like, kind of uh, drafting off maybe some of the other women that are working a little bit harder?
1: Um, I like to definitely be drafting, but I tend to just float to the front and that's something we're trying to work on a little bit. So in a marathon, it's just a long way. You don't want to be
0: worried about wasting miles. energy in the yeah. front.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so.
0: um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Project Purple. And, and I know you've been impacted by pancreatic cancer. And so just want to share with our audience. I know, um, unfortunately last year you lost your uncle Uh, To the disease and I know we were kind of introduced from your nephew's best friend And that's how kind of we got connected. So and you also lost a grandparent to the disease as well. Yes.
1: Yep Yeah, so pancreatic cancer has definitely hit our family. I know it's hit a lot of families Um, It's definitely a devastating cancer when it does hit your family. So I was happy to help in any way that I could and um, for New York uh, marathon build-up, that's when my uncle was sick, and I wanted to kind of wear some purple jersey, the purple jersey and purple shoes, and just try and bring any kind of awareness I could to Project Purple, so yeah, I love what you guys are doing, and um, that was definitely special to my cousins and to me, so. <laughs>
0: well, we appreciate everything, and I know you've been awesome, uh, I know two years ago on World Pancreatic Cancer Day, you didn't say anything, but you posted <laughs> with the hat, that, you know, and the t-shirt, and to help raise awareness, and it's it's been really from me as the founder Molly to uh, to see you you know within your circle of influence and you you have influence in the running community to help us raise awareness for the disease and all we're doing so I really appreciate it and you've been great to come to our ambassador summit and engage with some of the ambassadors and I know uh, someone here locally. I think she won a pair of your sneakers and a bib recently or you donated, yep. I think Deanna Shipman. I don't know if that name rings a yes, bell. Yep. <laughs> and she raffled it off. She's running you know, a race. I think she's running Chicago actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's just been awesome to see you get involved. And you know, I think the one thing with this disease that you know is, as you said, it's just so vile and so devastating to families, but we're not alone. You know, and it's powerful to have people in numbers rally around the cause. So we appreciate everything. It's been awesome that you've been involved with, and, and we appreciate it all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to help in any small way. Um, you know, I love that the running community is tied into it. I think we're a really generous, energetic bunch. So what a great source resource to tap into with Project Purple. And I know you guys are at a lot of um, not just running, but also CrossFit and other fitness events. But marathons, road races especially, I think it's... Uh, Yeah, you got some powerful people in that corner.
0: (laughs) Well, on that note, I want to talk about this and and recently I know she was good friends with you. Gabe Grunwald passed away and Mm -hmm. and you guys did some amazing things here in Rhode Island. You actually did a run for her.
1: Yeah, we did kind of an impromptu group run for, um, it was actually Gabe Grunwald Day in Minnesota. It was her birthday, the 25th. and so we just kind of had a group run to see who would show up at Providence because, you know, we felt like we wanted to do something. Providence has a, a sizable running community, and they all knew of Gabe if they didn't know her personally. Yeah. Her influence was, like, very widespread and very um, just helpful and inspiring to a lot of people. So, um, yeah, it was a rainy, cold day, but about hundred 160. 70 people showed up, I that's think, 165, my, and yeah, on a, on a not great day, and just ran a group 5k without any frills to it, yeah. like, we had a clock, but no one was recording time, yeah. um, and people donated money to Braid Like Gabe, they raised, we raised a little over $2,000, so and awesome. um, sent that out there, and uh, just... Yeah, just wanted to do something. We felt like we wanted to do something. That's the, that's the effect that she had on people, so.
0: It's so powerful. You know, we uh, we were talking a little bit before about you and Emily and, you know, this camaraderie. And, you know, just coming off, I mean, this will probably hear in a couple of weeks, but, you know, the U.S. women's team just won, yeah. right? Yeah. And I feel like in women's running, though, like there's this camaraderie that is unlike i don't think many other sports because it seems like for the most part and maybe this is just surface but you are running as individuals but it's this sisterhood i guess i would call it that is so and i think when when gabe got sick it was wild and when she passed i mean she was sick there at the very end and her husband justin was on social media but people were just like prayers for gabe and mm-hmm. thinking of gabe and then when she passed to just see i mean regardless of the affiliation in terms of endorsements or distance it just was everyone just came together which is just so awesome to see
1: yeah yeah i think the running community is special like that like the way they can rally behind something and um i don't know what it is about running i think it's like one of those odd things that, although it's an individual sport, you just have this community about it. Mm-hmm. Mutual respect for other people that will that you know will go out and get the miles in alone. They, you know they go through hard things to you know be prepared for a race. It's physically hard. It's you have to get up early sometimes to fit it into your life and um, take some dedication and um, you know you just have respect for each other. You all look at each other and you're like, I know what you go through, so. I think then when you come together to try and support someone or something it's like yeah I don't know that person but I kind of know what they're about um and I think Gabe was kind of like special because she was very open and shared her story and a lot of things that they were going through um that I think made made a lot of people feel like they know her or feel like whatever she was telling them they could apply to their own lives too so I think that was not surprising that you saw like that level of support flow out for her and um, hopefully continue to for years.
0: It's fascinating. We were listening to a podcast on the way up and uh, Malcolm Gladwell who's a big writer, uh, New York Times bestseller. He talked about something that he thought, and he's a pretty big runner. And he said that it's interesting, like the NBA has made a shift over the last 10 years where like social media, like people like Kevin Durant, for example, like they know, and, and I think maybe it's It's a little bit different because NBA players are so tall. But if Kevin Durant were to come through the doorway, you would know it's Kevin Durant because he's seven foot one. But he said runners and and, and his reasoning was that the NBA is the players sometimes are so real in their beliefs and what they stand for. And he says very similar to the running community where like people are real people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think. You know, that might be the reason why I think everyone can resonate and rally around so many people. No, not everyone. And I'm not saying that everyone should, who's a professional runner, put their whole social life on social media like their whole personal life i should say um because you know there's there's challenges with that as well and, and not everyone should spend time on social media all yeah. the time um spend time with your loved ones and what you're doing for your professional career but it, it was very interesting hearing him say that and i was like yeah that's kind of true in some way because you really get to know people to some degree and when you have situations like gabe who she was very open like hey this is what i'm dealing with mm-hmm. and, doing the chemo I remember reading something how she like did chemo on a Monday and then was at the track meet for a race like Wednesday, Thursday which is just crazy.
1: And I'm sure it wasn't something natural for her to take on that kind of attention and openness. I think she knew what power it would have and the purpose behind it. And I think everyone just really appreciated that that she took that step. And um, yeah, you definitely saw that appreciation the last few weeks.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here what you did for your uncle and what you've done for us is similar in that and so I, I appreciate again I think you know I think that shows the, the human side and the, the real person that you are so I appreciate that
1: yeah I mean it didn't feel like a, a big gesture but I hope it wow. I hope it helped some people out I hope it had an impact so. <laughs> we've, gotten
0: a, we've gotten a handful of applications yeah. because of yeah. your social media presence it gave me a
1: good reason to race hard for sure wow. so. <laughs> we appreciate
0: it um, I want to shift gears here I got a couple questions for you. What do you think you'd be doing if you were not running professionally?
1: Oh boy. (laughs) Um, My best guess would be, I maybe would have gone to med school because I had taken the MCAT and filled out some applications before I got my contract. Uh, My fifth year of college. So this is pretty. But I did not get accepted to med school, so I don't know what way that would have (laughs) gone.
0: So you didn't get an exception.
1: No, I was mid I was mid application, and I got a contract to run, and I just said, yeah, I'll do that instead of med school. (laughs) (laughs) Dropped the application in the garbage and went.
0: (laughs) What were you? What were you thinking? Like, what direction would you go into in terms of medicine? Were you like fixated on like being a surgeon, an oncologist, a general practitioner? I
1: had. I wasn't sure. Um, My dad was a general surgeon and I kind of followed him around for like a career day one day and thought it was really cool, but yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> I definitely was interested in, you know, I'm interested in science and medicine and um, the health field is a great place to go.
0: So. What was your major in college?
1: I was bio in college, bio. Okay, yeah. that's right. Yep. <laughs>
0: Just straight biology?
1: Just biology, yeah.
0: So I, I had, in my mind, you were going to say like basketball player because I know you were a pretty good basketball player. Oh, I
1: wish. I would have loved, to, I might have played basketball instead of run if I was actually good enough at that and, <laughs> and I, big enough.
0: <laughs> I'm going to, I hope I don't embarrass you here. I did see like you guys did something up in with Saucony and no. there was like knockout. And I think you won knockout, right? Like you, you, you were pretty good, Baz. You still got some I, game.
1: I got, I didn't win a game of knockout, but we were, sh- we were making some good shots. They yeah. were catching them on video. Your, your
0: form so. was pretty good. <laughs> I was very impressed. I yeah. was like, Molly still got game. <laughs> Something else that I found in doing some research, you and another female are responsible for the women the emoji for the women runner. <laughs> so talk about that. I never knew that.
1: I, I was- am unsure how direct my uh, connection is to that other than um, I was talking with my friend from high school Liz, and she was saying, you know, she was running this 5k the next day. I was like, good luck. And I sent her an emoji of the guy running. And I just said, you know, we really need a girl. Um, she said that to me, she's like, we need a girl runner emoji. And I was like, you're right. We do. And I just was at a time where I kind of had free time and I just wanted to do something goofy and fun. (laughs) So I looked up how, how do emojis get officially like certified? And there's actually a whole process and you can request some, and there's a form and a, proposal you can write, and there's all kinds of instructions, and so I asked my friend Roshin here, who has husband is a graphic designer, to help me design one, which they didn't use, but you still had to propose a yeah. design, and uh, I just ran the idea by Roshin, and said, you know, is this crazy, is this funny, what, what do you think will happen, and she said go for it, so um, yeah, I sent in the proposal, and a year, it took a year, a year later, one of the updates had the female runner emoji in it, and I did hear back from Unicode, it's, that is what the, consortium is called that is in charge of emoji um, keyboard char- keyboard characters Oof. mostly emojis so yeah i don't know if that was me or if they were going to do that anyway but
0: you should have patented <laughs> that and you would get like a nickel every time someone uses the yeah, well, female Yeah, emoji
1: there's very specific um directions uh preventing that from happening if you read the paperwork of making an emoji so they don't want emojis to be tied to industry i guess
0: kind of makes sense though. The emoji
1: world is very pure.
0: (laughs) That's so awesome. Yeah. So you, you can take credit for the women runner emoji.
1: I don't know. I asked, I very formally requested it. I don't know if it was me or if they were like, Hey, we had that idea. Maybe they got
0: bombarded. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it was many people. Yeah. Who knows? That's awesome. Well, I saw it on Wikipedia. So if it's on Wikipedia, (laughs) you know, it's It's like that. Um, what is a day in a life like for you i know you mentioned before like you ran at 10 but what's like a standard day and let's just say like during this time of the year where you're kind of in between training and well not you are training but in terms of like the race schedule
1: yeah i'd say a typical day would be running twice a day if it's not a workout day even on workout days we run twice a day usually i do my main session in the morning around nine or ten track work um it'll be either track or a long road threshold session or a regular run so I'll do that in the morning and usually it's whatever it is it's roughly 10 miles long 12 miles long and then in the evening I just will do an easier run so it'll be like depending on whether I'm getting ready for a marathon or the track like four to six miles in the evening Um, and then in between if it's a workout day we try and hit the weight room for like 40 minutes after the workout and maybe once or twice a week, I'll have some kind of physical therapy or chiropractor session or a massage. Um, so, yeah, the days kind of fill up with all that body work and um, kind of like ancillary warm up stuff. And you can only really run for a couple hours a day, but you can fill the day with running prep and running recovery. <laughs>
0: What's probably the best recovery method that you've used and and I'll give like define it like is it do you use like ice baths is it like uh, chocolate milk you know Mm -hmm. we've heard recovery now there's all these devices there's the Theragun there's uh, we've got the hyper ice those they look like drills with like soft, yeah, cushy things on them. Yeah. They've got even the booties, not like yep. the, the uh, compression sleeves that fill up with air and you lay in a lounge
1: Yeah, yeah those are good. Normatec's good. Norma Tech, Ice yeah. baths are good. Um, I like to see a chiropractor. They're, that's my go-to way of keeping my body, just like in preventing injuries. Yeah, for me, that's been really important. So I see maximum mobility down in Arizona, and I see Lanny Chiropractic here in Providence and... Um, Chiropractic in New York. Those are my (laughs) go-to chiropractors. And uh, I think, I don't, I'm not huge with like complicated recovery stuff. I mean, yeah, make sure I eat something right after I work out within that half hour. I like, um, you know, I keep some like, I always have Gatorade with me. They're one of my sponsors for the marathon. So always have some of those chews in my bag or a gel and make sure I get something with protein in it as well. You know can't go wrong with chocolate milk actually pretty great food um yeah that trying to get enough sleep that's always tough for me my quality of sleep trying to keep that good and then uh those are the basics for me
0: do you so you don't your go-to like is really the the chiropractic once a week or do you go multiple times a week to get adjusted or realigned
1: um during the marathon build-up it is more like couple times a week. Because of actually. the intensity of the yeah. workouts, right? I yeah, can definitely. Um, once a week would be great, but that's when I'm feeling good already. So,
0: What about, and I know you you post a lot about food like baking and do you have a particular diet that you <laughs> follow or are you really conscious about what you eat? I mean you love donuts which we're going to talk about I in a do. second.
1: Um,
0: Everyone loves donuts. But
1: yeah I, t- I try to have some self-control. I probably really only eat like one donut a week which I don't think's that bad. No. That's not that bad. No. Um, when you're running 140 yeah, miles a week yeah. you can
0: I think you can have like two. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so there you know post long run I do have a donut but um, I don't really have a specific diet. I just try and eat a lot. I definitely had to focus on like getting enough carbohydrates in my marathon buildup, which I love to eat them. So it wasn't hard. I just had to consciously like count what I was eating for the first day or so, and then just made that a routine. I didn't overthink it after that. Um, And you know, there's in the marathon training, there's like mid run fueling. You have to worry about that with the Gatorade endurance. People helped me out with that with their, lab and um
0: so d- was that a hard transition because like usually in a half marathon you're not really i mean you can probably go mm-hmm. without like a ton of nutrition
1: yeah i i had mm-hmm. never taken any nutrition for the half it was really only when i started marathon training that i had to kind of get used to it and figure out what i liked and, and luckily it was a smooth transition you know like i i can take it on pretty well my stomach isn't picky it's not so, so far so good with that it's just you had to consciously make a plan and see what tweak it from there um and then other than that just make sure I'm getting enough like whole good nutrients you know enough protein enough carbohydrates and no real restrictions I just try not to eat too much junk food I try not to drink a lot in season <laughs> everything the in moderation yeah moderation I'm not too strict about it so because when you're training a lot you just you need to eat a lot and
0: well, you need to refuel. Sometimes
1: you just want to eat whatever you
0: want. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine that probably can get you in a lot of trouble really quick if oh, you yeah. don't eat yes. the right things, yes. whether it's digestive or just not feeling yeah. right or just yep. not having enough energy. Something that just came to my mind when you jump to that marathon distance and at the pace that you guys run, I mean, I think for our audience listening at home, you know, you're running a, a five minute mile and you're coming through those aid stations. Did you have to practice how to grab? the nutrition and the water and like your your bottles like do you guys practice that before or did you just go into New York that first year and mm-hmm. say alright I'm gonna wing this I know my bo- I know they're marked and they yeah. they have like special things so you know which bottles yours but
1: I think it's a good idea to I did practice did it a practice couple it. times you know usually someone will hand me the bottle or I'll have it on my car hood yeah but um, I think once I set up a table just to see what it's like at table height and with other bottles around yeah. because. Um, it's not just you, it's, it's you know, depending on the table. Like in London, I think we had six other women reaching for a bottle on the same table, same table in yeah. our pack stayed together for and a long everyone's time. everyone's got so, their hand in there. Yeah, it's like merging on the highway. Like you kind of got to like figure out someone's cue of when they're going to cut in and what are you going to do. And so you have to have good hand-eye coordination to kind of just grab that bottle. Um, I did drop one bottle in London and I decided to go back and get it because I just didn't want to like I was bonking later um, so yeah little things like that can cost you tens I mean that probably cost me not a ton of time but it cost me maybe 10 to 15 seconds
0: well, those transitions and that could be yeah. the difference. And we always, I think we always tell our runners too, and maybe you can, you're testing to this, it's like, don't try anything new on race day, right? Yeah. So like, if you've never done this before, you know, and if you practice it, at least you have somewhat of an idea. Yeah. About that.
1: Yeah. And it's not as hard as it is. You don't need to practice it a ton, but it is something no. that you want to have some comfort level with.
0: True. Who's been your fiercest competitor on the marathon scene?
1: Here's this marathon competitor, Mary Katani, I think. I seem to have raced her many times. I think I've raced her three out of my four marathons and like she won two of them by a lot, (laughs) minute, full minutes. Um, And then in London, she wasn't up quite as high, but yeah, when she's in the race, she changes it. Everyone kind of looks to her because she's she's probably the woman who can have the world record if she goes for it. Um, And then, you know, I don't really battle her head to head but probably head-to-head battle. Um, I don't think I've raced anybody really more than once enough for it to be. Yeah, I raced Shalane once. We we hung tough. We battled it out in New York, and she got me by 15 seconds, seconds I think. Yeah. Um, I think it was like 12. But we were like back and forth a lot.
0: Are she's, you guys talking at that point to each other, or
1: we were? I was too out of breath to talk at that point. But she's always a very formidable competitor. I like. I always like to race her. I feel like we always have. I always have like a really good day when I'm with her because it's like you're not wasting anything. Like you're gonna run your fast yeah. time. Like you're it's a, just you're you're really racing. You're not tactical. Um,
0: D- is there a stare down in the beginning? Or yeah. I, know, I I'm I'm kind of interested in this. So you guys are in the back, like warming up, while everyone else is waiting outside. And then they bring you guys out. Depending on like I know in Boston you guys are in the gym, and then yep. in New York there's a special area where you guys are. So is there like you guys talking to each other at all or is it just like hey you guys are in there you're stretching you're doing your own thing you warm up you get on the line and then you go and then there's no talk 26 miles there
1: wasn't much talk like emily and i talked a little bit in london but we're training partners yeah, you of guys course. know each other um, pretty well but yeah not a ton of talking otherwise i think des was maybe chatting a little bit in boston the year um she won just trying to like set up plans with people um you have a lot of time <laughs> you do yeah. have a lot of time to talk uh, but yeah, not a lot usually, so.
0: With Emily now, and I know you guys have run a couple races together cause you guys I think did a race in, at Stanford too, the yep. track, right? Yeah. So w- is there a strategy when you guys run together like that or is it like, hey, good luck, you know, or like what, what goes into that? um with a training partner that you're racing against now
1: yeah it is i mean there's a bit of awkwardness because we both want to win but like we've been we have the same coach we have this more or less the same training plan and we did a lot up separately for london because it was emily's first marathon so i think it just there was a bit more of a conservative approach with her to make sure she got there you know feeling good but um you know you're doing the same workouts roughly the same paces like it's going to come down to Ideally the end like you're gonna be together until the last like little bit if it if you're both feeling good So that's just kind of the way usually Ray's like you'll pacey like trade things off And then the last mile to whoever
0: so if there was someone that kind of inspires you in terms of running Who would that be?
1: So many people Um, I always say Meb just because he inspires me just like so many the longevity of his career winning the Boston the marathon medal, winning New York, his whole story before he started running, the way he handles himself off the road, like just so much with med that I'm like, he's just, he's the example. Um, But then like women's running has some great people too. I mean, obviously it's hard not to look up to Dina and Kara and Shalane and Des for just like doing those big things that kind of give you inspiration to chase after them yourself and just like, give you something to cheer for like you know you want to see someone that you went to college with or ran against and you identify with is like saying like hey like you can improve a lot like if you work hard you could get a medal or you could win a major um so it's hard not to look up to those women too.
0: (laughs) So Meb talk about Meb here for a second did how well did you know him before Boston, because I remember seeing a lot of pictures like when they had the elites up you guys were sitting at the table together and then I know from then you talked about like you know meb so did you know him well before Boston or
1: um he's pretty good about like reaching out to see if like you know athletes need anything and so throughout my career he sent little good luck messages or like That's so awesome cheer up or good luck or you got things like that and he does it for a lot of like I think he's talked to Emily about feeling yeah. he's just he's like that and so I I was familiar with him from that and then I think the first time I ever met Meb was in high school. He came to Foot Locker, the Foot Locker yeah, that I made. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was on the panel there. So he was one of those athletes that was giving us advice. <laughs>
0: well, I think he lives out in San Diego mm-hmm. and that's usually, Foot Locker's usually in San Diego. Well, there's multiple now.
1: Yeah, yeah now there's, there's two uh, high school cross-country championships. Foot Locker in San Diego and then Nike Cross. Yep. But we actually were in Florida that year. But yeah, normally it's in Meb's hometown. <laughs>
0: So with the rise of women's distance running, which you have been part of, that's been happening here really I think, in my opinion, you know, over the last fifteen years, with a lot of names you mentioned, how is it to see now like some of the ladies that just came off of college that now like I know there's a couple ladies that just got signed that are like Steeplechase mm-hmm. and like the the fifteen hundred runners. How, does that, how do you feel about that to see like those women now getting contracts and it just seems like there's like this resurgence in women's running just across the board.
1: Yeah, that's been so awesome. Like watching this women go one-two in the steeple at yeah. world championships, like they're doing things that you didn't think would be possible and so it's really exciting. Like You know someone else is watching that who's in high school or in college and, and they're going to internalize that and want to do that and hopefully it keeps the ball rolling and Um, women's distance running is like on par with, you know, any other country in the world where like, if you see an American on the line, they have a shot to win. So it's pretty exciting to see that spark. And it's a sport that I love. So I want to see it become even more popular. And I think it's just such a great sport for kids to do that. Yeah, if we we can make it cool by doing those things on big stages, then that's even better.
0: (laughs) I got one last hard question and then we're going to get into some fun ones. (laughs)
1: Let's
0: fast forward 10 years. What, is, what has Molly done in the next 10 years? What would you love okay.
1: to see? <laughs> 10 years. And where
0: will you be like in, in terms of your career? Like, yeah. will you still be running? Will you have kids, uh, coaching?
1: Well, I'm 35, they'll turn 35 this summer. So I don't know how much running I'll be doing. I want to run till I'm 40. Well, Joan runs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <she> yeah. <laughs> Masters. I, hope, I hope there's some age group stuff going on. Um, I'd like to make one more Olympic team next year in the marathon and then, the world championships in 2021 are in Eugene, so I would love to run a home championship if I, my body allows me to. So we would probably try and run the marathon there as well. Um, probably we'll try and have some kids after that. And I know, I don't know, you know, I know Kurt is going to be doing some coaching. Um, he wants to coach in college or professionally. And so I don't know if I'll be helping him with that or if I'll be kind of doing my own thing with Saucony or what I'll be doing. But um, I loved putting on the cross-country race. I think it would be cool to put on a bigger event. Um, And I don't know, maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe I'll give med school another crack, who knows?
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And for those listening at home, you do put on a race here in Rhode Island right here we're at the i assume this will be the same start finish yep. area yeah here in roger williams park the date has changed this year which i'm excited to see <laughs> yes. it's a little bit later in the cross-country season yep. so hopefully we can bring more people from connecticut
1: yeah
0: um but what is the date and where can people find information on that
1: so the date this year is november 9th um 2019 week after boston
0: or week, week after, after new, new york, york i waited till everything
1: was over um It will be at 10 a.m. And our website is pvdfallcomers5kxc.com. It's kind of a mouthful, but I'll be um, putting stuff up on my Twitter and Instagram too. And all proceeds benefit New England Distance, which is a local um, elite development running group, but also we um, sponsor middle school track and cross country for Providence City Schools. So it's kind of a great program on both sides.
0: Which encourages running and Mm -hmm. getting kids active, which is, Extremely yeah. beneficial. Providence <laughs> City
1: Schools need some help, so if we can give them running, I hope that's something. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, now come the uh, the the rapid fire questions. Donuts. We mentioned it before. Boston cream or chocolate? Chocolate. Sprinkles or chocolate?
1: Ooh, sprinkles always.
0: <laughs> Glazed or sprinkles?
1: Mm. Sprinkles. Sprinkles always. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, we have some questions from our alumni that I'm going to ask you too. So before we uh, we went out to our alumni and we said, hey, we're meeting with Molly, and does anyone have any questions? So first question comes from Joe, and it's what has been your best experience as the Project Purple ambassador, ambassador and what have you learned about the Project Purple community?
1: I think probably just that main experience of going to the Lincoln Marathon because I got to meet so many um, members of Project Purple and um, you know, I got to hear how they were impacted and what brought them into Project Purple and everyone had so much passion for it and just seeing that in person is pretty cool. And seeing them all finish the race and whew, it was a hot day so seeing what they'd go through for that um, was pretty inspirational. So I, yeah, I'd say Lincoln-Nebraska Marathon last year.
0: You don't remember us in New York City though last year we were in Brooklyn I was on a ladder we had the megaphone and we had the molly huddle uh, fathead cutout oh my gosh I think you were so I in the in zone, zone. Yeah. so in the zone and that's happened I think have we done that twice I think we I don't know no, we did it last, that last year we didn't do it in for uh, the first year but you were so in the zone yeah and we had one of Peter Chacha as well because oh it was gosh. his last race and he hurt us but you know Peter's you know he's yep. waving in the crowd he's yep. doing the mayoral <laughs> thing you guys are so focused running yeah. and it was just awesome to see you guys run by but we my son was holding your, your face and I had the megaphone <laughs> and I was on a ladder
1: I but, appreciate it yeah. we were out there supporting
0: <laughs> and, the, and I think the other folks we had another cheer section at like mile 18 and a half they, had, they didn't have a megaphone but they did have a fat head but again you're probably moving so fast <laughs> uh, second question from Beth how do you deal with a disappointing race?
1: I think the disappointing races are it's important to be like disappointed and upset for a couple of days and just like try and analyze it as much as you can to see what caused it and what you can do better and then I just try to move on just always be racing <laughs> always have something next. Um,
0: do you journal or do anything like yeah. mentally, like in terms of like, do you, do you keep a running journal?
1: The running log is huge. Um, my friend Ro makes the compete running journal, which I've been using for years. But I've been keeping a running log since, I mean, I have, gosh, probably 20 of them. They go back to high school. and.
0: So do you say like, mm-hmm. New York, and you analyze and go back and yeah. say like, hey, I should have done this, or yep. is it?
1: You run down what you did good, what you did bad. Um, and then you just kind of look at the build up and see what you should have changed or what you what you can do better next time. And I feel like it really does work and it kind of just keeps you from being like, catastrophizing it, you know? Cause like when you really sit down and force yourself to make a list of like, what you did well, what you didn't do well, like you'll find out it wasn't as, usually it wasn't as bad as you thought. <laughs> and you did something simple or something small or something that was like, look, you just couldn't help that that day. That just happened. So um, yeah, I like to get it out on paper for sure.
0: Cool. Uh, Last one from our alumni. Do you have a phrase or mantra you use when running? If so, what is its origin story?
1: I sometimes have different phrases, but usually I have a necklace that just says strong on it. And it's just, I like to keep it simple and something that's like a positive empowering word. Like um, that's actually part of the sports psychology cues rather. Like, for example, you don't want to say don't slow down. You want to say speed up or endure like a positive Affirmation, and so I just have strong on a necklace, and I can kind of feel the necklace bouncing around. And at the end of the day, it doesn't like,
0: bother you for twenty six miles. No, like you don't have like a bruiser. No, like it's chafing. a little,
1: it's a little <laughs> tiny light necklace, but it do get, it does get stuck in my hair sometimes. But um, yeah, I just like to be reminded that like just be strong on that day, and don't do what it just reminds me. I don't have to do something that I can't do. I just need to find what I am capable of, and just be strong with every step.
0: What is a race? must-have like every race what is something that you must have like is it uh, something before a piece of clothing I know you like to do your nails
1: yeah I think the nails are a must-have so you
0: have to have the nails blinged out yeah specific to the race right because they're always themed
1: I just yeah it just makes me feel more prepared and it's like a fun activity to do the night before so I don't want it to get to the point where I'll feel uncomfortable if I can't do them but like I kind of have to do them So it's kind
0: of like that mental, like we tell our runners to have a glass of wine, Molly does her her nails.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Cool, cool. Uh, last question. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not training and running?
1: When I'm not training and running, um, play basketball, probably, to be honest with you. Yeah, I like to shoot around, just do the things I'm not, I'm too tired to do normally. So yeah, it's usually other sports.
0: <laughs> Who's your favorite basketball? Do you have a favorite basketball player? Uh, I would imagine with the training, it's hard to kind of keep yeah, up. But like, not
1: really. I mean, we watched. Obviously, we watched like the Raptors win because Kurt's Canadian. Canadian so go Canada. Big interest in Canada. We
0: won't talk about Kawhi because Kawhi's. We're, sad about, we're gone. sad about
1: that, but um, yeah, no, no, uh, Steph Curry, I guess.
0: Seeing that happen where you had like this whole nation rally around like Toronto it's really cool right it's <laughs> yep. almost like
1: they were talking about it so much in Toronto like Kurt <laughs> listens to um Like this hockey sports radio, and it was like it was all basketball. basketball, Like like it was a big deal to them.
0: Well, they said what? Fifty-eight percent of the TVs in Canada were tuned into the NBA finals. Mm -hmm. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. Like I I think it's hard for us to fathom here because we don't have that, right? Like we have teams that are regional based, Mm -hmm. or like the Boston Celtics, the New York Knicks, or the Golden State Warriors are so regional. But some of them, you know, do span across the country in terms of their fan base and stuff. But that's a whole country. Yeah,
1: there was a lot of love for the Raptors. Yeah, they were well supported. <laughs> so
0: question, my last question. I this is I promised my last question. So seeing that how that c- whole Canada country just rallied, does that inspire you even more to make the Olympic team? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, of course, yeah. Because
0: that's kind of the same feeling, right? Like, you have this whole nation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, like, once you start seeing little things on the news about it, as you get closer to the Olympics, they'll do countdowns and things like that. It just gets you in that frame of mind of you're like, okay, like, uh, I can do anything this year. Like, this is the year to try and get it all right. (laughs) Well,
0: we wish you luck. I I think you're going to have tremendous success here over the next year. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. The last thing is... For those people who want to follow you, what's the best way? I know you mentioned Twitter and social media. but
1: Twitter, Instagram, just at Molly Huddle for both. And I do technically have a website that I should update more, (laughs) runmollyhuddle.com.
0: And I will say, I know you are doing, we haven't talked about this, um, you do do some writing for Runner's World. And your social media is multi-faceted is just not pictures of you running but you do share your write-ups for runner's world which are great I've read a bunch of them and so there's a lot of great tips and stuff that you share there on your social media it's just not you running or it's just not a plug for Saucony or Gatorade yeah so yep. it's my
1: awesome. life
0: <laughs> awesome awesome well Molly thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast thank you for doing all that you do for Project Purple we really appreciate it from the entire community thank you
1: yeah thanks for having me guys and it's been a pleasure.
0: That's a wrap!